Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Speaking of conflict, if you'll turn your Bible to Matthew, tw- Matthew 12, uh, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 12. We've been in this series um, called our king and his power. And in our passage today, what we're going to find is we're stepping back into the middle of a conflict that's really been brewing for a while. Since Matthew 9, there's been this group of religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, who have been watching Jesus. They've been forming opinions about him. They've been thinking about him. They've been doing all these things to the point here in Matthew 12, where Jesus and these religious leaders really get into conflict with one another. Now, this conflict is going to continue all the way to Matthew 26, where these religious leaders are going to arrest him falsely and put send him to Pilate, and he's going to go all the way to the cross. But that conflict kind of really kind of takes root here in Matthew 12. Now, in verses 1 through 8, you've got the Pharisees. They're getting mad at Jesus because his disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. So his disciples, they're getting upset with him. And, um, and they kind of engage him about it. And Jesus' answer is this, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So not only is he saying, look, I'm in charge of this day that you're arguing with me about, but he also says, I'm the son of man, which does not mean I'm the son of a man. That son of man title is a title from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel. Jesus is saying, I'm God. And that kind of escalates things, as you can imagine. Okay? Then he goes to, a, um, to one of their synagogues and he performs a miracle on the Sabbath. He heals a man on the Sabbath, and that's where that gets us to verse 14 in chapter 12, where it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So they've moved from doubting about Jesus to wanting to destroy Jesus here. Now, last week, Pastor Tyler Boyette led us through a a really difficult passage where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and in verse 23, the people are amazed, and in verse 24, the Pharisees are not amused. And they start spreading lies about Jesus, saying he's doing this by demonic power. So Jesus engages them. That's the passage that Pastor Tyler preached through last week. And this week, verses 33 to 42 kind of continue that engagement. And what we're going to see in the midst of this conflict is what's coming out of the hearts of these religious leaders. What we're going to see in this conflict is that our words and our wants reveal our heart. Our words and our wants reveal our heart. So I'm going to read the passage, then I'm going to pray, and I hope I hope to show you where I find that. Okay, Look at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Lord God, we, uh, we acknowledge that uh, something greater than Jonah and Solomon and all the kings and lords of creation is here that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, you are the, you are the one who died and rose again, never to die again. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us see you as you are as we study your word today, um, as we hear what your word says about our words and our hearts and the things our hearts want and all these things that are really close to us, like we, we feel the reality of our words all the time, and we, we feel the reality of our wants and desires very frequently. And so, Lord, as, as your word kind of gets close to us and, and is going to prick us some, uh, it's going to faithfully wound us some as we walk through this passage, would you, would you be really close and remind us that you are a good God who loves to give grace to those who ask? And Lord, I pray you'd protect us from leaving here thinking we've got to try hard to be better. I pray you'd protect us from thinking that we've got to, you know, got to just do our best and get better. I pray that we would um, really trust you and bring, uh, bring areas where we need to grow and change to you and trust you as we obey you. So give us eyes to see, uh, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts that are willing to receive your word today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our words and our wants reveal our heart. That word heart gets used one time. It's in verse 34 where Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, when Jesus uses this word heart, he's not talking about the, or the physical organ that pumps blood. He's not talking about our, simply our emotions. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about all of our internal world. Okay? It's talking about our mind, our intellect, our will, our emotions, all of our internal world that makes us us. That's what the Bible means when it says heart. And since the heart really makes up everything that is us, the heart is really, really important. It's really, really important to the point that in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for, for it is the wellspring of life. So the Bible says of all the things you could guard, your time, your money, your identity online, your, 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 your life, like your reputation, of all the things you could guard, above all else, guard your heart, it says. Guard your heart. In other words, your heart is really, really important for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, everything about your life is going to come out of your heart. What's in your heart is going to come out of, our li of your life. Your words and your wants are two of the things that come from your heart, particularly when we're under conflict and controversy, particularly when we're threatened or maligned, particularly when we're faced with things we can't explain. And the Pharisees are in the midst of all of those things. They're in conflict with Jesus. They can't really explain who he is and what's going on. And 
So there's all these things that are going on in them, and this conflict kind of brings stuff out of them in these two passages that we're going to look at today. And our our main point is this, that our words and our wants reveal our heart. Let's start with our words. Our words reveal our heart. Look at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What Jesus wants us to see in those three verses is that our words reveal our heart. And he uses two analogies to communicate that. The first one is a tree analogy in verse 33. He says, a tree is known by its fruit. When you see fruit hanging on a tree, you assume that fruit goes with that tree. You do not assume that somebody got out there with a stapler and some fruit and like you're, you're assuming that tree produced that fruit. And if you see an apple hanging on a tree, you think that's an apple tree, rightly. Like you don't think, man, maybe it's an orange tree having a bad day. Like you don't, you don't think that, okay? A tree is known by its fruit. What Jesus wants us to get there is that what's coming out of us is the best indicator of what's in us. What's coming out of us is the best indicator of what's in us, specifically around our words here. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The second analogy he uses in verse, is in verse 35. He says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you've got a tree. That's kind of about our nature. That's kind of about what's, what's real about our heart. And either our heart is sinful or our heart has been saved. Okay. Now with this treasure idea, this is not so much about who we are, but about what we've taken in. That treasure word is about what's been stored up in you. So the idea here is that what you have been thinking on, what you have been listening to, what you have been reading, what's been stored up in you is now coming out of you through your words. And so what Jesus wants us to understand is that the things we're listening to, absorbing, believing, reading, etc., these things matter. They matter because they're going to come out of us. Now I want us to see that Jesus calls these men evil three times. Evil tree, uh, evil store, or evil treasure. And then he calls them evil directly in verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers. It's not a compliment, okay? You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? The uh, assumption is you can't, okay? That's what he's kind of getting to. What he's saying is, look, there's something going on in your heart that's coming out of your mouth. Our words reveal our heart. Now, this is all over the Bible, okay? The book of Proverbs, um, it's in the Gospels, clearly. It's in the letters of Paul. It's in the book of James. All over the Bible, we see the reality that our words reveal our heart. So this brings up a really important question for us to consider. What are your words revealing? What are your words revealing? Are your words revealing a heart that's anxious and hurried? You know, um, it's easy this time of year when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus to lose him. 
And we can get so anxious and in a hurry trying to celebrate Jesus that that, that really kind of comes out in our words. I'm trying to buy presents for all you people, you know? Uh, this, this, uh, the, anxio- an- the anxiety and the hurry, all that can kind of come out in our interaction. Sometimes we're just angry and aggressive, like that poor girl at Target, you know? Like it's not her fault that your stuff is on a boat off the coast of California. Like that is, it is not her fault. But man, we can get so, we, we just can get so wound up and all of a sudden it just comes out on somebody, you know? Uh, for some of us, what, what's being revealed in our words this time of year is not anxiety, really. It's not anger. For some of us, it's grief. You know, we've lost someone. Um, something's happened in our lives. And, and so the grief that we feel in our heart comes out in our words because our words reveal our heart. And so what's coming out? What's coming out? So Jesus wants us to understand that our words reveal our hearts. And if that's not enough, Jesus brings another hammer in verse 36. Look at that. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So not only does the words coming out of our mouth reflect our heart, Jesus says, number one, there's a day of judgment. There's a day of judgment. And he tells us that people will give an account. Uh, there are other verses that talk about pastors giving an account. This is all y'all. This is all of us. Okay? People will give an account for every careless word. Not every well-thought word. Not every edited word. Not every, you know, processed word. Every careless word. Every careless tweet. Every careless text. Every careless comment. Every careless post. Every careless word will give an account for. And then he says, by your words, you'll be justified or condemned. Now, here's what that does not mean. It does not mean that we need to have more good words than bad words, right? God does not have a swear jar in heaven in his kitchen, you know, with a good jar next to the swear jar, and you got to fill the good jar up more than the swear. That's not how this is working. Okay, it's not about be doing more good than bad. It's, it's, uh, it's simply saying we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account. So our, our words reveal our heart, okay? And our, our words are always revealing something about our hearts. And knowing what you know about your words, we, so we, knowing what we know about our words, and knowing what we know about judgment, what that should do is that should drive us to Jesus. What it should not do is cause us to go, you know, Brian, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to get ahead of my New Year's resolution. I'm going to do better. No, man, no. Like, if your heart is bad, if your heart is bad, you got one, you got one solution for that bad heart, and that's to get it to Jesus who changes bad hearts, who, who takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, who gives us a new heart, the Bible says. And if you're walking in, in some situation where you, your, your words have kind of tapped into a vein in your heart, like a, a place in your heart that you didn't know about and, and bad stuff's coming, like you bring that to Jesus too. Our hope, our hope for our heart is Jesus, not us trying hard to be better. We've all already tried hard to be better. Our hope is Jesus. 
And we need him because our words reveal our heart. Next, uh, Jesus moves on from our words revealing our heart to our wants revealing our heart. We see that in verse 35. Again, they're, they're still in this conflict around who Jesus is and what he's done. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay, he, that, look, we want a sign, they say. So a sign here, it was some miraculous thing performed on command. Now, what's funny about this request is that what got them into this conflict were two signs already. I mean, Jesus has been doing stuff since Matthew chapter four. Like He's been doing all kinds of stuff that they've seen. And they're like, no, 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 we want to see a sign. It's not enough that you healed a man's hand and that you healed a blind and mute man. We, we want to see a sign and we want to see it right now. This sign is, Jesus, you do what we say when we say, and then we'll believe. That's what they're doing. Get Right now. Give me a sign. They're trying, to, they're trying to boss Jesus around, and that's not really how lordship works. Jesus is Lord. You don't just tell him what to do when. It's not, Jesus doesn't jump when we say jump. But they, they're like, we want to see a sign. Well, they really don't. They really are not looking for a sign to trust. That's going to become evident in a minute. They're really looking for a sign to trap. They're really trying to trap him. But they say, give us a sign. Well, Jesus is not having it at all. He's not, he is not interested in this. This want, this want they have to tell Jesus what to do when, give us a sign right now, do what we say when we say, that want is revealing something about their heart. We're going to see that in just a moment. So Jesus is not having it at all. And he tells them, look, you're already rejecting two things that are pretty important. Verse 41, the first one they're rejecting is the, the preaching and teaching of Jesus. Okay? They're rejecting that. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying something greater than the preaching of Jonah is in front of you, and the people of Nineveh will rise up at the day of judgment and accuse you for not listening to the preaching and teaching of Jesus. Now, this whole section is taken from the Old Testament story of Jonah, which is an exceptional book of the Bible. I really want to encourage you to read it. It won't take you that long. It's four chapters, okay? Now, it's not like the nursery rhyme. You know how we kind of put Jonah and the whale on a, on a nursery wall? Have you ever thought, why would we put a whale swallowing a person on a nursery wall? Have you ever thought, me, I've thought that, but that's not entirely what the story's about. So what happens is God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to that city. Well, Jonah hates Nineveh. He hates Nineveh. And Jonah also knows that if he goes to Nineveh and preaches that God's going to be kind to those people, he hates them. He doesn't want the kindness of God to go to them. And so he gets on a boat to go the opposite direction. Well, through a storm and what the Bible calls a great fish, God captures him, gets him moving the opposite direction, and Jonah goes. Jonah realizes salvation belongs to the Lord. So he shows up in Nineveh. He still hates them. He still doesn't want God to be kind. And he walks through town preaching a sermon that's five words. Basically, y'all repent, God's coming. That's kind of how it seems to read. And God shows up, the whole city repents, and just crazy things happen, and Jonah's still upset about it. He's like, I, didn't, I knew this was going to happen. I didn't want this to happen. I should just go out here and die. That's the book of Jonah, basically. 
Well, well, Jesus is saying, man, look, something better than Jonah is here. Let's think about that for a minute. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jesus wanted to come here. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Jesus loves his enemies. Jonah hated his enemies. Jesus loves his enemies and wants them to be family. He died so that could be true. Jonah preached five words. Jesus spends far more time preaching and teaching. And he says, something greater than Jonah is here. He says, Nineveh is going to rise up against you at the day of judgment, talking to these people in this passage. Something greater than Jonah is here. They're rejecting Jesus preaching. They want a sign, but they won't listen to him preach and teach. Then they're rejecting Jesus' wisdom in verse 42. Look at that with me. It says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon's here. So Jesus says, not only are you rejecting my preaching, you're rejecting my wisdom. Something greater than Solomon is here, he says. Now, Jesus references something in this verse, the queen of the south. Now, somebody in my community group said she thought that was Paula Deen. Um, that's not, not what is being talked about here. It was a joke. She was a joke. Um, what this is is from 1 Kings 10. Okay? What, this is from 1 Kings chapter 10, where uh, the queen of Sheba comes to meet with Solomon. And what's interesting is that in this story, the queen of Sheba comes to meet with Solomon. It says in verse 1 that she may test him with hard questions. Now, isn't that what the, the Pharisees are doing? They're trying to test Jesus with hard questions. But she came really wanting to know the answer. Like she came really wanting to know if what she had heard was true or if it was false. She came with a heart to trust. The Pharisees are coming with a heart to trap. And our wants reveal our heart. In fact, at the end of this interaction in 1 Kings 10, it says, And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, I came with, to test with hard questions, and what I found was true. What I found was true. And what Jesus is saying is that the queen of Sheba will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn these religious leaders who are not asking to trust, they're asking to trap. Jesus says, something greater than Solomon is here. You know, one of the things we've been saying since the beginning of Exodus is this, that we want to be a place where people can bring their questions. Like, if you have legit questions about your faith, this is a place you can bring them. Like, you'll, you will not, no one's going to be intimidated by your question. No one's going to be afraid. No one's going to judge you for your question. Like, if you come with hard questions with a heart to trust, like the Queen of Sheba, okay? If you come with hard questions with a heart to trust, we're going to interact with you. And we're going to do our best to help you find the answer. In 2,000 years of church history, your question is probably not new. And it's probably been answered by someone. Now, it may be a new form of the question, but it's the same question that's probably been asked and answered. And we want to help you find the answer to that. Okay? No, no one's going to be put off by your questions. We, we want to receive that. But what I want to encourage you toward is like to, to do some work on your heart. Are you asking to trust? Or are you just looking for another reason to walk away? Are you really asking because you really do want to trust God? Or are you just looking for a reason to walk away? 
So Jesus tells them, These, uh, the, the men of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba are going to rise up on the day of judgment and condemn you because they, they received the preaching of Jonah, something greater than Jonah's here, and, they re- and she received the, so- the wisdom of Solomon, and something greater than Solomon is here. These Pharisees, they, they really don't want a sign. They don't want a sign. They want another reason to reject him. Because what's interesting is the sign they get is the only sign they need. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, it says, But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, well, what sign is that? Verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So don't miss this. The sign they're going to get is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they're going to get. The, the, sign, the sign that they're going to get is the resurrection of Jesus. And even when they get this sign, it's not going to be enough. We'll see that in just a minute. Now, real quick, a lot of questions around three days, three nights. Okay, If we have three days, three nights somewhere, that means we're going to check in on Thursday, check out on Sunday. Right? Well, you know, the Bible probably know the story that Jesus was killed on Friday, buried on Friday, rose from the grave on Sunday. To our calculation, that's not three days, three nights. That's two days, two nights, three days, right? But that's not how first century writers and Hebrew people considered time. In their understanding of time, if you spent any part of a day, it was a day and a night, Okay. Now, that might not be sufficient for you. You might still have questions around the veracity of that claim, but I just want you to know that is what's going on there. Uh, and one writer said Jesus didn't feel the need to explain himself to 21st century people. I thought that was interesting. I didn't say it. Don't, don't come at me. Like, I didn't say it. He did, and I thought it was funny. So, so what's going on here? They're, they're looking for a sign. They get a sign. It's the resurrection. Now, what's interesting is that the resurrection means that their plan from verse 14 worked. They came up with a plan to destroy him. That got us all the way to Matthew 26 when when Jesus was arrested, crucified, and buried. And when he was buried, the Pharisees go to the Roman leaders and say, hey, listen, uh, we heard that he was going to rise from the grave. We need to put a guard there so that nothing shady happens. Well, they put a guard there, and here's what happens in Matthew 28. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Now, what had taken place was Jesus had walked up out that grave. That's what had taken place. And the guard had stood there like they were just dumbfounded, like not knowing what was going on. And so when that news gets to the Pharisees, they've wanted a sign. They get the sign Jesus promised. What do they do? Do they bow their knee? No. When they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him too and keep you out of trouble. In other words, hey, instead of bowing the knee, we're going to bribe you. If we need to, we're going to bribe him. You see, they, they were not looking to believe. The problem wasn't that they needed a, sign, a new sign. The problem was they needed a new heart. They needed a new heart. Our wants, what we want, reveals our heart. That's what's going on with these people. 
and such that when he, even when Jesus walked out of the grave, just as he said, they still wouldn't believe. They still wouldn't believe. And so as we think about this reality that our, our words and our wants reveal our heart, we need to ask this question, and it's a difficult but important question. What are your, now this should be our, okay? What are our words and our wants revealing about our hearts? Let's start with our words. You know, if we could watch game film of the last week, you know what game film, that's where they kind of review the game and kind of see what was going on and what went well and what didn't. Like if we could review the game film of our words over the last week, what would it reveal about our hearts? And I'm saying our, okay? I'm in this with you. Like, what would it reveal about our hearts? What would it reveal at home? Where, man, home is the safest place and we can let down and just whammy each other with our words. In the store? In traffic? Oh, man. What would, what would watching our words over the last seven days reveal about our hearts? Man, whatever, whatever it's revealing... Our only hope is Jesus for that. You know, we we need to think, what are our words showing us and how does Jesus change that? that? That is what we need to think. What are our words showing us and how does Jesus change that? Because our words reveal what's going on in our hearts and our only hope for heart change is Him. And so we bring, we bring our heart uh, whether it needs to be saved or whether it needs to be sanctified and shaped, we bring our heart to him. And he's the one that does both of those things. If you leave here thinking, Brian told me to do best, to do my best, to do better, man, that's not, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying bring your heart to him and he changes us. That's what I'm saying. And our, our wants reveal our hearts too. These, these religious leaders wanted a sign. Now, listen, this is not the same as you reading your Bible going, God, I just, need, I just need to know you. Like, I need to hear something fresh from your word. That's not what they're doing. It's not like, God, I need direction. I need clarity about what I need to do for the next step of my life. I need to know. Like, that's not what they're asking for. What they're looking for is not an opportunity to trust, but an opportunity to trap Jesus. They don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. They don't want to. You know, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you, you, don't, you don't really want a sign. You want a reason. I was talking with a guy several years ago. He had, he had wandered from the Lord. This was after all of these events. He had, he had wandered from the Lord pretty, pretty substantially. Um, just shipwrecked his life and shipwrecked his marriage and family. Um, and there was a day where he had, he had entered into an online relationship with this woman and he was on his way to the hotel to kind of culminate that in, in an event together, okay? And we were talking about it after the fact, and after he had just shipwrecked everything important in his life. Um, we're talking about it. He said, you know, Brian, I prayed. I said, God, if you're real, you stop me. At every stoplight, I prayed, God, if you're real, you stop me. I said, how many stoplights did you need? How many times did you need God to stop you? 
See, he didn't, he, didn't want, he didn't want an out. He wanted an opportunity. And that want in him was revealing something about his heart. That's true for all of us. Our wants, some of you came here today looking for trust. Some of you looking for an opportunity to walk away. You know, the Christmas narrative is filled with people who were looking for signs from God in some way. Um, some wanted a sign so they could really believe. Others had other desires. you got Joseph in Matthew 1. Joseph loves this woman named Mary. He's done everything to be betrothed to her. And then she, he finds out from her, um, I'm pregnant and God's the father, which, of course, he would be concerned about that, right? And he's wondering what to do, it says in Matthew 1. And then in a dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he will be born. His name will be Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. Joseph needed direction. He needed clarity. And God gave him what he needed. Then you have the shepherds. They're out watching their uh, their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, uh, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and those shepherds go, and they find it just as the angel had said. Well, then in Matthew, we see a couple of other people who kind of had some a sign that was involved. In Matthew chapter 2, you have the Magi. Um, Now, they're not entirely connected to the Christmas narrative. They come in later. Um, it says in Matthew 2 that they came to the child, which is a different word than baby. Okay, I kind of created a bit of a monster with my kids. Like They're, they're going around kind of correcting everybody's nativities. And they were like, look, we're going to go to Cramerton and we've got to move the wise men across the street. I'm like, look, we are not going to prison for a nativity. Okay, That is not a battle we need to fight. All right, Calm down. But... It's true. So the, the, the Magi were, um, but the Magi saw a star in the east, right? And they came to find the baby so that they might worship him, the child, so that they may worship him. Along the way, they meet a guy named Herod who says, when you find that child, you let me know. Now, he doesn't want to worship him. He doesn't want to surrender to Jesus as king. He wants to take Jesus out so he can stay king. You see, our wants... Our wants reveal our heart. Our wants reveal our heart. And so maybe you came today really wanting to connect with Jesus in a new and fresh way. And you're like, I need, I need, I need you, Jesus. I need a sign from you. I need something to feel connected to you in a fresh way. Or maybe, maybe you're here and your heart's like, I'm here because she said to be here. I don't so much care about being close to God at all. I'm looking for a reason to walk away. I don't know where you are in that spectrum of places, here's what I know. Both of all, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, we all have the same sign. And here's the sign, that that baby who was wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger, died on a cross, was wrapped in cloth and laid in a tomb, and he walked out of it never to die again. That's the sign. That the baby that was wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger died on a cross, was wrapped in cloth, laid in a tomb, and rose from the grave never to die again. 
And regardless of where you are on that spectrum, if you came in here going, God, I just need to know you. Like, I, I just need to be reminded. I want, I want to trust. Like, I want to. And that's a good sign. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place and to rise from the grave so you could belong to him. And if you're a doubter, if you're, man, if you're looking for a reason, like that's a good reason. The thing that separates Christianity from every other world religion is the resurrection of Jesus. If you need a sign, there's a sign. There's a sign. And my hope is that wherever you are on that spectrum of reality, that, you, that we would trust him today because he's trustworthy. He really is. Let's pray together. Father, you're good to us. You're so good to us. And Lord, I pray that as we think about this, this reality that you, Jesus, rose from the grave. And so everything's different. Like everything changes because you walked out of that grave. So Lord, would you help us today? Help us to trust you. Help us to believe. And Lord, if our heart is, is really struggling to trust and struggling to believe and struggling to know what's true, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us and connect with us and in a fresh way today. Help us remember the resurrection of Jesus in a fresh way today. And if, we're, if our hearts are kind of far from you today and we are just looking for opportunities and reasons to walk away, Lord, would you capture us? Capture us. Capture us by your grace. Give us new hearts. Hearts that want to follow you and surrender to you and walk with you. Do that, Lord, for your glory and our good and our joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.